digital transformation has been a watchword in business circles for a while now, as everyone rushes to get all their assets networked. But when it comes to protecting operational technology assets, this can cause problems. One of the major issues with securing the OT side is that many of the machines have been around for an exceedingly long time. So how can companies and critical national infrastructure protect their OT assets in the digital age? And how big of a problem are legacy systems really? Hi, thanks for joining us at the ICS Pulse podcast. I am one of your hosts, Gary Cohen. Happy to have back with me today our co-host, Tyler Wall. Tyler, welcome back from uh, Germany and other far-flung locations. Yes, I have made my inevitable return. How are you doing today, Gary? <laughs> I am doing okay. You you returned a little sullied and marred, but you're back nonetheless, yeah? Yep, we made it back in one piece. Uh, had some some tricky travel stuff kind of going on that was very unplanned and navigating public transportation in foreign languages, but uh, that's okay. We we made it, and I, I'm proud of myself for that, so... <laughs> <laughs> it's a three-country tour. You did Germany, which was work, and then uh, what, Amsterdam and then Paris? That is exactly what happened in that order. Yeah, so it was it was definitely a lot of fun. Um, with the actual conference, yeah, there was some great information. It was for our one of our other brands, our legacy brands, Control Engineering, or if you prefer, ControlEng.com. And they had some great information just about uh, like digital transformation, supply chain, um, all of that good stuff. And it was a big celebration. So uh, those Germans, they they can drink. Let me tell you what. Um, I was in bed by nine every night, but I know they were definitely having a party after hours. Before we get into our subject for today, I got to hear the blue drink story. Tell me, tell <laughs> me the blue drink story, Tyler. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so at uh, one of the parties after the event, um, they were handing out these drinks, like on these trays, and I was told that they were non-alcoholic. So I took them and I had three. Okay. And then after that, I went and grabbed a beer and I drank the beer. I was like, okay, this beers don't usually make me feel like this, this quickly on just one. And um, lo and behold, their alcoholic and non-alcoholic blue drinks were the same color. So unbeknownst to me, I was drinking, uh, albeit delicious, alcoholic beverages that I did not realize were indeed alcoholic. And blue. In blue. Um, so today's today's podcast should be another good one. We've got a, a great guest with us today, uh, Richard Robinson, who is the chief executive officer of Synalytica Inc. Has done a lot of interesting things. He worked at the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory. He was uh, the director of enterprise operations for the city and county of San Francisco's Department of Technology and Information Systems. So he's been in the trenches for a number of years. And the reason that intro was there is he's going to talk to us a little bit about protecting legacy OT assets, which I think is an interesting topic because um, you don't think of too many things uh, around these days that predate the internet, but some of these uh, OT systems do, which makes them very difficult to protect. But one thing I wanted to do today with the podcast, we're, we're on our seventh episode now. We're growing up fast, but we really haven't talked about um, who Tyler and I are and where we came from. We've teased a few times that we're a few credits short of our cybersecurity degrees. I think today you're going to find out just, just how short we really are. <laughs> we're going to talk a little bit about our backgrounds and what brought us here and what brought us to cybersecurity and ICS Pulse. And some of the things that is, have surprised us, some of the things we've learned, 
Uh, it's been an interesting journey since we've come on. I've been doing this for about two years now and did not come from a cybersecurity background. Though. But we're going we're gonna to start because he's a little bit younger than I am, just a little. We're going to start with Tyler. So Tyler, where did you come from before you jumped onto ICS Pulse and started thinking cybersecurity? Yeah, so I am... I am I'm the youngest of our whole team at CFE Media and Technology. Uh, I am a ripe 22 years old. Um, so I graduated with my degree in English. Um, initially, when I did go to college, I actually went in with a computer science degree. And one of the concentrations I was going to focus on was actually cybersecurity. However, um, I ended up changing my mind, switched to English, quite the jump. Uh, I confused a lot of advisors when I said that, but... That's all right. Then I jumped on to English ed and then I jumped back to English. Um, and then particularly with like this job, um, I was very interested in the concept of, well, I've always been interested in like just like learning new things from scratch. And this is definitely one of those things for me. And like, I've definitely like learned a lot about cybersecurity, especially in the industrial world um, through that process. And it's been super cool in that way too. Absolutely. And so I come from, uh, I'm a little a few years older than Tyler, just again, just a few in my uh, late 20s, plus 10, plus 10. Um, and so I my career spans a little bit more than, uh, than Tyler's, but I come from a content background. I've done a bunch of different things in my career. Uh, started off as an actor. I've been a writer, editor, content marketer. I've done TV. I've done radio. I'm doing podcasts. So I've kind of been all over the board and it's one of the things that uh, that I like about working in content is you get to dabble, you get to learn about different things. So I've always had that kind of innate journalistic curiosity that makes me want to dive into new topics and learn them. So that has served me well in this because I did not come with this background. Like I said, I started my career out of college, out of undergrad. I started as an actor. I did that for about 10 years. Clearly, I was very, very successful at it, which is why I'm now helping to host a cybersecurity podcast. Uh, I like to say that I put a lot of companies out of business, did a string of commercials for companies that do not exist anymore. Can't directly attribute that to me. You have no proof. It's not my fault. <laughs> it could be my fault, but it, I, you can't prove it. Uh, so I did that for a long time. Um, and then while I was doing that, I always like to say I was one of the seven actors in the world that didn't want to work in food service. And I had a, a, a psychology degree in undergrad and an advertising degree in undergrad, but I always liked writing. And so I started, ended up writing for a bunch of different magazines and kind of doing journalism as my side hustle while I was acting because acting didn't always pay the bills. And then uh, about 10 years in, decided to go back to grad school and, and make it legal and got a, got a master's degree in journalism and uh, content strategy and all that stuff. And I've been doing it ever since. Uh, my job, I've worked in, I've done, created content for everything as diverse as healthcare to baseball. My job directly prior to, to coming here with ICS Pulse was I worked, I ran the publications department for the Chicago Cubs, which was an interesting journey. I came on to the Cubs in 2011 when they were decent and tearing down. I don't know if you're baseball fans. People who are baseball fans will understand this. The rest of you can nap for a second because I know baseball does that to people. It's a mild narcotic or, uh, or sedative, I guess. Um, 
And I was there through the breakdown, the build up through the World Series run in 2016, which was very fun and uh, and stopped working in baseball full time in 2018. So you probably cannot make a bigger jump than from baseball to cybersecurity, but somehow I managed to do it. So uh, I came here for the challenge of, of learning something new and trying something new and found the topic interesting and it has been uh, a pretty serious learning curve. I, I don't know. What is the thing, Tyler, when you came in here and started working on this brand, because I know you didn't come in with a cybersecurity background either. No. You had probably, at least you had some interest in information science, yeah. things like that. So you had a little bit of a background, plus you're younger than me. So there's that. Uh, but what was it that surprised you the most working in this industry, what what surprised you when you came on and started working in cybersecurity that you were like, ah, I should have known that, or I never knew that? Um, you know, I think probably something that surprised me the most when I got in here, uh, at least in within the realms of industrial cybersecurity, uh, is just how difficult it is to get companies and businesses to take it more seriously, I think. Uh, especially in this digital age that we are in and going to continue to progress into, um, really there's no stopping it. And the only way, the only thing we can really do is help shape what that looks like, right? So just the, it's almost like kind of pulling teeth a little bit, like just trying to show these businesses, these companies um, of all shapes and sizes that having a strong uh, cybersecurity, a department, but also uh, just cybersecurity practices is imperative to um, protecting themselves from any sort of cyber attack, whether that be ransomware, DDoS, um, malware, et cetera, any of those. Yeah, I think for me, there were a couple of things. On that note, it was for me that uh, ITOT divide. We started doing interviews like the ones we do on the podcast pretty early on. And that was where I learned the most. I talked to experts in the field. And they were kind enough to sit there and talk to me like I was a fifth grader and help me understand this stuff. And I don't think I really understood the divide that existed between IT and OT and the vulnerabilities that that opened up. That You could have a company with a wonderfully strong and robust IT department that was great at protecting systems. Doesn't mean that your systems are safe or cannot be attacked, but you can have that but still have your manufacturing operations on the plant floor be intensely vulnerable because that hasn't been taken seriously or because people are trying to use IT practices on OT networks that yeah, it's not working. Um, I didn't really understand that. I didn't understand how vulnerable OT was. We'll get back to that in a second because that's kind of our topic for today. The other thing was just personally, I cannot say and should not put this out into the universe that all of my passwords and practices in my cybersecurity hygiene are incredible. They're not. They're a lot better now. It's a lot better now than it used to be. But a lot of this stuff, I just didn't think about. I was just as likely as anybody to, to name a password after whatever. My favorite sports team or the street I grew up on or to have the same passwords or to have my passwords stored in weird locations. All of those things. I remember early on, I was talking to somebody about password security. And there's a good time to talk about it. It is still National Cybersecurity Awareness Month, where they're talking about multi-factor authentication, uh, using strong passwords as one of them, updating software, recognizing and reporting phishing. 
something as simple as, and I don't know why this never occurred to me. When you get asked security questions, say you're signing into your bank or whatever, and they ask you for cybersecurity questions to retrieve your password, that those don't have to be the truth. You don't have to answer those honestly. If they ask for your mother's maiden name, you don't have to actually say your mother's maiden name because that's something that a hacker could figure out. If it asks what your first car was, you don't have to put that your first car was a Hyundai Elantra from you know 2010. You can say it was whatever car you want it to be. Mm-hmm. Or you could say your favorite car was the Chicago Cubs. Just as long as you remember what the answer is, you don't have to answer those questions honestly. And I went, oh, well, that makes absolutely perfect sense. And I should have understood that from the get-go, but it never occurred to me until someone said it to my face. And then I went, oh yeah, I've been really sloppy up till now. So I am as susceptible to using bad cyber hygiene as anybody else, but this has made me a lot smarter about it. Absolutely. I am also, I'm learning still even like, definitely the password thing um before this job i'm not even kidding every single thing i had uh had the same exact password so it was just easy for me to get in but it also means it's easy for other people to get in and i guess another thing that also surprised me and i guess i'm saying i guess a lot but um something else that kind of surprised me is i already know that like these threat actors go unrecognized um a lot of the time or it's just like allegedly but it is surprising to me like how many people uh or at least how many of these um uh threat actors are like unknown you don't always know who the threat actor is you don't know who's responsible which creates chaos you don't know where to look you don't know how to defend yourself back to that itot divide i'm going to bring us back around because my hosting skills are phenomenal but also because our our guest today richard robinson is talking to us about legacy ot that really was something that I had taken for granted. I, I understand a little bit about manufacturing, how things are made, how we crank out widgets every day, that machines are meant to be, these machines are meant generally to be predictable, reliable, resilient. They're supposed to last for decades. You want to be able to crank out that widget over and over and over again, and nothing should disrupt that. But I'd never really thought about how that really makes them susceptible. We talked to David Masson in the last podcast, and he called OT systems fragile because he said it's really easy to knock them down because they are designed to do the same thing over and over and over again. If you put a grain of sand in the works, that could be enough to cause some serious problems. And one of the things that Richard Robinson talks to us about today, and you'll, you'll hear it in the interview with him, and he'll say it, I'm sure, much more eloquently than I do, is that most of these systems were built decades ago. If Maybe before the internet was readily available, maybe not before the internet, but before the internet was widely used by businesses, certainly before people were thinking about cybersecurity uh, and early OT systems were very much considered air gap because people weren't really using the internet that much and they were separate from those networks. And so a lot of those concepts still exist in OT circles is we're air gap, we're OT but it's just not the case anymore. So these things can become not only were they designed before security was in mind, but they, because they're older systems, a lot of times one of the things cybersecurity awareness month is preaching is patching and updating. And sometimes it's almost impossible to patch these things because 
they are running on programs that are so old that the company, whoever it is, Microsoft, Siemens, Rockwell, they're not putting patches out anymore because they're assuming that people aren't really using this whatever piece of software or hardware anymore. Uh, and you can imagine the kind of vulnerabilities that that opens you up to, not being able to patch something, not being able to fix vulnerabilities, leaving something in the state that it was in in 1995 or 2005. Yeah, and you can even imagine too how this almost drives a further wedge into the ITOT divide even because it's just harder for them to work together if these legacy OT systems are not... Um, capable even and i mean not even that they're not capable just aren't just recent i mean just them being so old it's just it's not making icot convergence any easier that combined with um just the general kind of i don't know not pushback necessarily that's not the right word but uh just difficulty of helping them understand one another and that um legacy ot systems aren't helping with that and that with them in the case of them not being um, uh, updated. And we mentioned digital transformation in the introduction. It's only going in one direction, folks. Digital transformation is happening whether you want it to happen or not. Most people do. It is, as we've talked about before, helping streamline business operations. It is making things run smoother. But more and more and more things are getting networked. I, I talked to somebody a while back about hospital systems and uh, where the vulnerabilities exist in hospital systems. And I remember he said to me, you know, you look at a hospital right now and how many things are networked. If you were to walk into the same hospital room 10 years from now, do you think more things are going to be networked or fewer things are going to be networked? Digital transformation is happening. It is a reality, which means not only IT systems are coming online, OT systems are coming online. Everything is getting networked, which again, great for business not always great for people who are practicing cybersecurity. No, not at all. So with that, I'm going to go ahead and bring in our guest here again today is Richard Robinson. Richard is the Chief Executive Officer of Synalytica Inc. in the United States and the Director of Synalytica International in the UK. He has experience across both the private and public sectors, previously served as the Chief Information Officer for the National Nuclear Security Administration, Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory, as well as the Chief Operations Officer and Director of Enterprise Operations for the City and County of San Francisco's Department of Technology and Information Systems. Welcome, Richard. Thanks so much for taking the time to be with us today. Thanks, Gary. Appreciate it. So let's begin today's discussion by talking about the cyber risk to legacy OT assets. Um, I mentioned digital transformation a few seconds ago. While it might be good for business writ large, how can this actually be a bad thing for OT cybersecurity? Uh, that's a great question. Um, well, so first and foremost, you know, digital transformation is a thing and it's happening. Um, there are solid operational and business drivers for it to be happening with companies, and that's why they're on their digital transformation paths. You know, I hear people debate and argue about IT and OT convergence uh, as part of the, this conversation, uh, but I don't believe that debating this piece is really helpful in helping, you know, OT cybersecurity. Um, it, it's happening. It'll continue to happen. However, when it comes to you know, connecting the operational technology infrastructure to networks as part of the digital transformation, uh, it, it does pose challenges and some pretty significant ones. Um, you know, most organizations would probably say that the, the biggest concern is that the legacy or the aging OT is it's difficult to manage and to, and to integrate, uh, and they're correct. 
And so unfortunately, they've either then ignored it or rationalized not addressing it properly. It's like if they just, you know, close their eyes and plug their ears, it'll go away. Um, we have, uh, you know, unfortunately seen this attitude frequently in the energy and, and the water sector, especially in light of all of the cybersecurity events. That is still kind of a prevalent attitude. And I don't know if it's protectionist or just whatever it is, but um, that's one of the biggest concerns. Um, it's been the historical view. And, and part of the reason it's been historical is because of the difficulty and to actually do it would potentially introduce operational problems or new cybersecurity threat vector. That's another reason that's kind of underscored why it has been ignored or rationalized out. Um, but uh, that doesn't have to be that way anymore. There are actually tools and technologies that help address this problem. Um, you know, and, and companies can do this as part of their digital transformation. And, and this is where we've been focused for, for several years. Um, the other piece is legacy OT still makes up a significant amount of infrastructure, especially in critical infrastructure. Um, and that's not going away anytime soon. You know, uh, in many situations, it's not economically viable to replace um, that, that infrastructure and then maintaining it as a cyber asset once it's connected to the network brings on a lot of baggage that needs to be understood uh, and appropriately addressed. Uh, and with these, you know, the control systems are the, the greatest risk for, for compromise. Uh, in the government space, you know, GAO has published several reports, you know, to the DOD and to the Department of Energy driving this, this fact home uh, on the, the criticality of the infrastructure and the need to protect it and things that they can do. Uh, and, and very few, you know, organizations that are on their digital transformation path um, currently, you know, monitor, collect, or correlate any of the data from, from these legacy environments, which essentially leaves them vulnerable to, um, you know, being exposed, uh, as, as well as being unaware of actually what's happening in these environments when they start to connect them. Right. I mean, first, as you mentioned, the attack surface has gotten larger. <laughs> but I think the thing that always strikes me is that many of these attacks that have made the headlines recently have been ransomware attacks where people are looking for a quick payout. But there's also a physical impact that can result from these. I mean, we saw it with Colonial Pipeline, we saw it with Oldsmar, and that that's always the thing to me, uh, to me that has struck me as as maybe not the bigger problem, but the scarier problem. It is, you know, and it, it you know with with uh, Colonial, it, it boiled down to visibility in the OT environments. I mean, the risk was in the IT side, but not having um, you know a, a complete understanding of the environment and being able to monitor introduces that risk. And so, you know, they took the appropriate action, you know, for them at the time, and that was to shut down operations until they understood what was actually happening in the OT environment and what the impact of the ransomware might introduce to it. So many organizations seem to think they're on top of the problem or maybe that it's going away or that they're air gapped. So how big of a problem are legacy systems practically in, in reality? So uh, another great question. <laughs> Um, I don't think legacy system is the enemy here. Um, it's, it's really, you know, a matter of if, why, and how you connect your legacy system to the environment that, that poses the problem. Uh, as far as air gapped, you know, we hear this a lot. Uh, and it's just not a reality for most. You know, many of these air gapped environments, you know, still have remote access for vendor maintenance, some wireless components, and other elements that make them very ungapped. Uh, and when we hear this from operators, it's almost become a cliche for, I have no idea what I have or how this works in my environment. You know, we're air-gapped. 
but on the you know on the legacy front, you know many if not most of these systems were built decades ago, well before the twinkle of the internet. Um, you know they were built to be predictable, reliable, resilient, and last you know for decades if not forever. Uh, and when they were you know designed and built, they they weren't concerned with internet security issues like encryption, authentication, non-repudiation, or the like. And so with that, there's still a lack, a uh, significant lack of awareness and misunderstanding about the real challenges uh, and potential solutions around the integration of legacy environments uh, as part of the digital transformation efforts. Um, right now, I would say the majority, if not all of the digital transformation efforts that we see are typically marshaled through the IT uh, or the business functions of the, the organization and not operations or OT. Um, you know, that's just kind of the genetic makeup of corporations in America, if, if not globally, you know, it's going to be ran out of business. Um, I, it's, it's very similar to, you know, when we went through the whole voice over IP and the convergence of telephone with IT. And so we're seeing, you know, very similar type of uh, organizational structures and constructs around that. Uh, and that's really where the, the, the challenge of legacy and OT begins to surface, you know, taking an IT centric view and approach to the integration of your legacy OT environments without fully understanding them is really the core problem. And one of the core challenges that we need to overcome with this. Uh, the communication in these environments uh, are not TCP IP communications. They're old school industrial serial communications. Uh, and for a lot of folks that is a lost dark art. And so when you start connecting those things to environments without understanding them or understanding how you're going to architect and structure and get that data safely and securely into the environment is really where the challenges begin. And that IT centric view on it makes that a really, really large challenge. So what would you um, say to somebody, I'm sorry to interrupt. What would you say to oh, somebody who says, well, eh, we don't need this. We're moving away from serial anyway. You know, sometimes I just run away. <laughs> Uh, the other one is, you know, you, you try to walk them through. So we, you know, we've had this conversation with folks and then if, if they're really willing to listen and sit down and understand the environment, you'll see the light bulb go off. Um, and part of the challenge too has been, you know, anyone can point to a problem uh, and just leave it there. But being able to say, here's your problem, here is your capabilities gap, and here's a solution that works that you can consume without having to go hire data scientists, data engineers, cybersecurity specialists around industrial control environments is really one of the key things to help get them to the table and, and listen to you rationally. Um, the other issue is, um, you know, like I said, it's either ignored or folks are using some type of converters um, to monitor the, those communications. And they'll, you know, use a converted to encapsulate and convert it to, to TCP IP. Both of these approaches, ignoring it and using converters, pose several problems. Uh, one is, you know, you're just not monitoring or seeing what's happening in the environment. The other is what you think you are seeing or monitoring might not actually be what's happening in your environment. Uh, and I think that's one of the bigger challenges uh, outside of not monitoring that, that companies face. So, so let's talk a little bit about monitoring. What's the importance of monitoring serial directly versus TCP IP, as you mentioned? And especially in regards to legacy OT systems is one more effective than the other. Yeah, so I'll, I'll caveat the monitoring with a couple of terms, you know, safely and securely. Um, you know, a lot of folks are doing, you know, when the, the challenge between, you know, doing something securely and doing it because value is there, 
um, companies will always go for the value and the ease of use over the security. So I think it's really important that when we talk about monitoring serial communication, some of the caveats are, you know, it is safe, it is secure, it's not introducing operational um, disruptions or creating a new cyber threat vector. So that's what we mean in monitoring. Um, so that's the idea, you know, ideally the best vector is to monitor those serial communications and it's doable. By doing this, it provides the operator with the actual raw communication data coming off the wire. And, and that is essentially the ground truth. It's not being interpreted. It's not being transformed. It is the actual data that's going to and from a, a, a controller to a field device. Um, so regardless of what's happening within the rest of the environment, you're actually seeing what's happening in that environment. TCP IP conversion encapsulation of the serial communications isn't as, as efficient. You could potentially be losing valuable data in the conversion and the encapsulation. Uh, and there's the potential for the data to be spoofed or the gateway to be compromised. Um, so the most effective way from our perspective is in monitoring legacy serial communications is to safely and securely pull that raw communication passively off the wire, frame it there, encrypt it there, and then get it into whatever your digital transformation environment consists of. And that would sort of allow you to, to have both the OT digital transformation and have a solid cybersecurity posture at the same time, if it correctly. Absolutely. So you and I have talked before about uh, some of the government interventions that have happened lately. Obviously, the government has stepped in to try to provide a national framework for cybersecurity, especially in relation to critical national infrastructure after some of the attacks like solar winds. <laughs> it's probably a large question, but do you feel like this is helping? Is it hurting? Is it somewhere in between? Have the, ha have, have the mandates been clear thus far? Uh, great question. I think it's all of the above. Uh, you know, the government isn't a, a, a homogenous identity. You've got lots of good things going on. I think you've got some things that aren't so, so great. Um, so I would say definitely in between. Uh, but there are a couple of different optics here, especially between understanding the public and private adoption and implementation of these frameworks. So it's not just the government doing it holistically, is how is the government looking at how it's handling it? Uh, and how is it that the government's engaging with private industry to make sure that they're handling it. So it's, you know, is the government using the framework to adopt, direct, regulate, or what? Uh, and I don't believe that this is necessarily clear in everyone's head. Um, I also believe that this has become such a hot topic that unfortunately it's becoming political theater. Um, and I think what's compounding the political theater is now you've got a lot of special interests uh, involved and you also have a vendor community um, that I think may be convoluting some of the stories or the understanding of what's happening and what it actually means to the government and what it means to, to the private sector. Um, and I'll give an example of what I mean kind of by still in between and not clear in everyone's head. So we've been part of a program with the Department of Defense called Mosaics, which is an acronym for More Situational Awareness of Industrial Control Systems. So this program actually started several years ago, two, three years ago, when the Department of Defense kind of had this epiphany that um, we, we should probably put some policy and controls around the monitoring of our industrial control environments, especially if contractors or other folks are involved. So we know that there is a bona fide level of protection and we've given guidance and requirements and policy around that. And so DOD actually worked with the Department of Energy and some of the national laboratories to come up with an architecture, come up with some tools 
test them against kind of what the known vulnerabilities were. But unfortunately, this still is kind of holed into a small group within the Department of Defense community. So you have a government agency where you had, I'll say, a small group of folks that understood that there was a problem, actually took a proactive action and came up with a framework and some policies and some guidance and some tools. But that hasn't actually flowed all the way up to the Department of Defense to where it's got enough attention, hasn't flowed over to the Department of Energy effect, what I would consider efficiently, because you, know, you had DOE laboratories working on it, but it's not part of DOE uh, policy or a program within DOE, nor is it within DHS. So, you know, going back to that, it's definitely in between. There's some folks that really get it and are doing a lot, but I think it's been politicized. It hasn't flowed up properly to the um, either Congress or to the department heads of these um, uh, agencies. Um, so I think we're in between. Unfortunately, some of this confusion seems to create misinformation out there about what needs to be done and what's important. How do we combat some of that misinformation so people actually are protecting their systems? Yeah, you know, that's, that's a challenge. Uh, I, I don't know what the silver bullet to that is. Um, like I said, the, the attention to cybersecurity and the hyperbole around it, I think, has made it much more difficult to actually make people effectively educated and aware of what kind of the real problems and the real challenges are. So again, we politicized it. Now that there's a lot of potential money and infrastructure protection, you got a lot of vested interests, you got a lot of vendors that are coming in, they want to maintain their position. And, you know, you know, we're a vendor too. And, and unfortunately, you hear vendors say things that just aren't truthful for their own, you know, uh, commercial um, uh, success. And because there's so much money going into it and so much attention, uh, it is really, I think, uh, complicated making people aware and educating them on what are the real issues and problems. That makes perfect sense. This has all been outstanding information, Richard. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Gary. I appreciate it. There you have it, folks. Richard Robinson of Synalytica talking about integrating legacy OT. Interesting conversation. It's something that I, I think you know about, but I, I didn't take as seriously as I probably should have. One of the things that he talked about in that interview that hung with me was this idea of OT integration kind of being slow. Organizations have been slow to adopt it or to accept that change is necessary because networking OT, updating systems, changing systems, replacing systems, not only is it expensive, but it creates operational problems. It opens up new cybersecurity threat vectors. It can be a problem, but again, digital transformation is a freight train. It's coming, it, not it's coming, it's here. It's been here for a while. So I think organizations need to be willing to accept the idea that change is inevitable and they have to embrace it. Absolutely. And one of the themes of the event that I was at in Germany, uh, not one of the themes, the big theme um, was the courage of change. And that is very fitting, especially when talking about protecting legacy OT systems. And as we dive further in this continuation of digital transformation, um, we and businesses alike, legacy OT systems, all of those, everything, we all need to be very open and confident going into these this new era of um, digital transformation 
and everything attached to that. So by doing so, that opens us up to more opportunities. It opens us up to, in this case, greater cybersecurity. Uh, and it's just a really good practice to practice what they were talking about, which is the courage of change. One of the things you said earlier, I think is very true. And I don't often say that to you. You know, I don't. I don't agree with you often. I like to be compatible. I think it makes the podcast more interesting. <laughs> Was that you, you cannot stop hacks from happening. You cannot stop threat actors. They innovate constantly. They tend to be a step ahead of the defenders. If you stop one type of attack, they're going to find another type of attack. What you can do is adopt best practices, is do the smart things, do the simple things. Look at the CISA's known exploited vulnerabilities, figure out which vulnerabilities, do a risk assessment and figure out which vulnerabilities your organization is susceptible to and patch and fix those. There are some simple things that companies can do that can make their cybersecurity stronger, but they have to understand the need for it. And I think that can be an issue. <laughs> one, of, one of the funnier things I think Richard said in that interview is when we, he was talking about air gapping and everybody we talked to says air gapping is kind of a fallacy. I mean, it may be used to exist, maybe, uh, but it definitely doesn't exist anymore. And he said in that interview, you, you heard him is like, you know, because he's often tasked with helping shore up cybersecurity for people. When he hears people come to him and say that they're air gapped, it's almost become uh, a code word for, we have no idea how any of this works in our environment. We don't know what we're talking about. So taking this stuff seriously, understanding that it is a problem and that there are things you can do about it. You cannot prevent it, but you can help make your organization not be the target. That was a really winding and elliptical sentence, but there are things you can do. If you think about it, if you're a hacker, there are threat actors out in the world who just have a bone to pick are working for nation states and want to take down a different nation state. And that's one thing. But if it's just somebody who is looking to put ransomware onto your system and get a big payout, they're not looking for the most complicated system. If you've done some of the basic cyber hygiene practices and made your networks difficult to access, they might just move on to the next set of networks, which isn't great for the next set of networks, but it might protect your organization. So uh, yes, have the courage of change. Realize that cybersecurity is necessary. Cybersecurity Awareness Month. It's the time to be thinking about it. What a beautiful way to package that up and slap a bow on top to ship to our mothers. Uh, I tell you, it's very smooth. It's a Swiss watch this podcast. <laughs> so for more great content, um, be sure to go to industrialcybersecuritypulse.com where we are always posting articles. We have um, some serialized content called Throwback Attacks. Check those out. Um, and make sure that you tune in next week for our next podcast with Ron Br Brash. And he's going to be actually talking about ransomware. Um, and with Cybersecurity Awareness Month right now, the hashtag that we are using, uh, we being uh, just the event itself is Every, uh, we being everyone we being Royal everybody way. the entire world uh is hashtag be cyber smart that is hashtag or if you prefer pound symbol b-e-c-y-b-e-r-s-m-a-r-t thanks so much for listening and again we'll see you next tuesday and we'll see you next week